Keys to Lost is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all of your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com. The Piano Production. How you doing, buddy? Yeah, good, man. Well, before we get going, I, I kind of noticed last week you were a little bit of a Debbie Downer. Yeah, I wasn't a real big fan of Recon. Yeah, well, that, that's all right, dude. I, I sent you something to kind of cheer you up. Did you get a box in the mail today? Um, yeah. Let me get it. Okay, here it is. Wait a minute. Is it ticking? Yeah, yeah. Open it up, brother. Oh, wow. Is it the watch that Jen was delivering for Mr. Paik? Yep, absolutely. I found one on eBay and got it for you. I thought it might perk you up. Oh, that is so nice. Thanks, man. No worries. And actually, I think Leslie left something here that she said was from you. Let me go get it. Hold on. Um, Jed, wait, wait. Wait, all right, all right, I'm back. Let's see here. Ooh, it's ticking too. Hold on a second. What could it be? What could it be? Wait, wait a minute. Is this a... Jed? Jed? Oh, well. He deserved it. Oh, shoot. I better get somebody. Where's Donald's number? From St. Louis, Missouri... It's Keys to Lost, a weekly podcast dedicated to the ABC television series Lost, hosted from a musician's perspective by keyboardists Matt Murdock and Leslie Sanazaro Santi. And now, here's Matt and Leslie. And welcome to Keys to Lost, ABC Television's Lost, as viewed from a musician's perspective. I am one of those musicians. My name is Matt Murdock. I am a keyboard player in the St. Louis area. And my lovely co-host, the singer, songwriter, and pianist in her own right, Leslie Santi, is currently on tour in Iowa. So I got another lovely co-host here with me today. And that, of course, is Jed Finley from the Losties with Jed and Kara Vidcast. Jed, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great, my friend. So glad to be here. Thank you. I'm glad to have you here, man. I saw uh, your initial reaction with uh, Leslie. She was up there watching the show with you. It all looked great. We were all thrilled. That's the first A-plus from me and Kara, and uh, Leslie gave an A-plus, too. 
Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed the Liberace moment that you gave her at the beginning. I thought that was hilarious. That was my fault. I made her do it. <laughs> she totally loved it. She was quite the ham. Jed, do you have anything you'd like to plug since you're in the shameless plug section now? Ah, uh, yeah. I guess I could plug my show. If uh, there's any listeners out there that have not seen Losties with Jed and Kara, it's a show that uh, my wife uh, Kara and I do. Uh, uh, it's a lost podcast, but it's a video podcast. That's the catch. We uh, do two episodes a week and been doing it since uh, early season five. Um, it's 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 a relatively simple program. We try to combine the daily lives that we live in Iowa and kind of uh, add that to our love of loss. So. Uh, everyone can check us out. We're on iTunes. Uh, you know, search Losties with Jed and Kara, or you can uh, come to our website, Losties with Jed We have streamed versions of our shows there too. Right on. So season six, episode nine, huge, Ab Eterno. It's Richard Centric, written by Melinda Sue Taylor and Greg Nations. The continuity guy wrote an episode and directed, of course, by Tucker Gates. You ready to get into this one, Jed? I'm ready, man. I'm sure that doesn't mean that much to you. Because back when you were called in the shots, you pretty much just reacted. Initial reaction. So, Jed, you and I have both already kind of given our initial reactions publicly uh, on the air, so to speak, you with your vidcast and me on the Lost Mythos call-in show last night. But uh, I guess we can just discuss it a little bit. I, the first time, you know, as I sat here actually with Leslie's husband, Lex, and, and we watched it together, and uh, Weber was over here too for a brief while, and she finally left because she could see that we were just way too into it in order to be uh, doing anything uh, anything other than paying a lot of attention to the episode. And I was just absolutely blown away. I mean, this, this story was just one of the best stories, I think, that we've seen in Lost for a while. Definitely the best episode of the season. Uh, it's probably going to make my top ten, assuming that there aren't, a, a sequential increase in in the quality of episodes from here on out. I'm hoping for that increase, but uh, I, I would say that without a doubt, I mean, it's not even a question. This is the best episode of season six. This this sucker is one of the best of Lost. Uh, period. I, I mean, to cheat a little bit, yeah, I, I did an initial reaction and and I kind of tortured poor Leslie while we were watching it because I, I would pause and rewind and watch little bits again because we were just having so much fun. With this episode, but initially it was shock and amazement for me. But uh, I watched it a second second time today, and uh, frankly, I just think this is some of the best television I've ever seen. Um, I'm just stunned that this type of insanely layered and fascinating story could be told on TV. It's it's just one of the most I don't know well shot, well acted, well scripted, and superbly handled uh, hour and six minutes of TV I've I've just ever seen. Yeah, Jed, I, I agree that this just absolutely was an epic television show. Uh, it, one of the best I've ever seen on television as well. And even the score, you know, even though I thought it was a little bit over the top, uh, some of the things that G. Kino did with the, almost that kind of gone with the wind kind of feel, it still it gave a lot of weight to the episode that we just didn't have beforehand. And uh, in terms of uh, G. Kino's motives have always been... Uh, light and and they're all well thought out. I don't want to belittle anything that he's done, 
um, but he he really went for a, a much more cinematic approach for a single episode than he's ever done before, which which made it that much better to me anyway. Well, cinematic. I mean, this episode was cinematic in every angle that you could even imagine. But I better clarify for the fans of your show that saying that the music was very Gone in the Wind, Gone with the Wind esque. I am a Gone with the Wind nut. I own the massive. 10 disc blu-ray edition and watch it all the time so for me that's a that's a bonus right on very cool very cool you ready to get into three words let's do it so what should i know brother you haven't spoken three words to me three words actually got our first texted three words. Leslie texted me and said that her three words were Ricardo tells all, which is pretty <laughs> appropriate. What were your three words, Jed? My three words were hide the corkscrew. Hide the corkscrew. <laughs> we don't want to open that bottle, do we? No, we don't. Sure. Get that dark wine blowing all over everybody. That'd just be bad. Absolutely. All right. My three words were in-game revealed, kind of blasé, I guess, for, for what I normally do. But, you know, really with this, coupled with the incident, this this really showed what Jacob's side of the game was. We kind of learned what MIB's side of the game was just to, to get out. And, and now we know why it's important that he not get out, at least from Jacob's point of view. And I want to thank uh, Kara G. from Canada, who was this week's contest winner. Every week I'm putting out uh, my three words kind of in a cryptic form for people to try and guess and so that they can win a Leslie Sanazaro Santi or a set of MP3s from me. And uh, she was the one to, who won this week, and we thank her for participating. And her MP3s are coming soon. Yay, Kara! Yay, Kara. Yeah, not your Kara, but an a Kara one. I think I've actually battled this Kara in uh, in Donald Islas, uh, um not forums, but his uh, his uh, comment area. We've commented back and forth a few times, so bravo to her. How quickly did she get this? Uh, like within minutes of me posting it on Twitter. <laughs> that is impressive. Yeah, she did very good. Yeah. And speaking of tweets, uh, we got lots of them this week. Our first one from Methodic John says, Long time coming. Lost Maniac, Hurley Ghost Whisperer, Islands A Cork, Downright Epic. Max Hedrum 6, three words for the coming war. Spill the wine. Yeah. Lefos says L-E-F-O-S. Wow, wow, wow. Alex Hahn Boston, and of course that's Alex from the It Only Ends Once podcast. You can find his podcast at missingwhitegirl.com. A2 Ricardus? <laughs> Corwell. I love Corwell. He's got Richard Albert Awesomeness. Tsunamis break statues. Corks are important. Welcome back, Flash Sideways. Patty B66. Oh my Jacob. <laughs> Lindsay Amanda, one big flashback. She loved that idea. 
On and Shelby twenty three said I cried a lot. Justin Keys, let Smokey go. Jacob can fight. Welcome back, flashbacks. Jacob still untrustworthy. Dogan quoted Smokey. Oh, I like the last one. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. That is awesome. Miss Wright, you've suffered enough. Stop the MIB. Leah three three one eight. Oh Dios mio, or Ricardo on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Big Daddy STL 06, and that's Big Daddy Des, of course. You can find his blog, Big Daddy stl.wordpress.com Jacob's Franzia metaphor and Richard's campfire laugh. I love the giggle. Love the giggle. Yeah, that giggle was awesome. LK Cook. This is the Lost Lindsay from the Black Rock Podcast. Blackrockpodcast.blogspot.com Cork. MIB Richard. The Amy King says, full of answers. Mary Neggy. Worth the wait. Trust the writers. I agree. JMS says Richard's religious reality. The JD Man. The JD Man Experience is thejdmanexperience.com. Can't do that. Oceanic815 says some freaking answers. Bob0680, dead or alive. Good or bad? Hurley sees ghosts? Richard resembles Desmond. Hmm, okay. And JHMed00 says Richard's last wish, or down goes Tourette. <laughs> Raisin Girl, don't trust luck. Bruna Black, Richard is mine. Kevdo, kill the devil. Yeah. Sharp Cheddar. This is Denise from the Jacob's Cabin Podcast, so you could, where you can find their podcast at jacobscabinpodcast.com. Me gusta mucho. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Sky Tweet, outstanding, exceptional, perfection. Agreed. Agreed. Whimsy and Quirk, heart is racing. Lope Dog 33, a great flashback. Lost 815 by 30 face says, ah! Ah, ah! <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> ah. All right, uh, Brady boy, Richard regains faith. Nathaniel Starr, that's not science. Nelly DJ, Albert is awesome. And the friggin' Italian says best episode ever. He's got my back. Good old frig. I love it. Yeah. Molly Faraday. Ideas Mio <laughs> Zemus 101 Immortality by Touch and Mortality by Death Jenny Lynn 13 For the season so far, here it is Smoke and Mirrors And for tonight, they're all dead So Team Jacob Felt for Richard Lemonize says, Richard loves Isabella Go Hex the Wolf says Flashbacks Return Richard's story, amazing so many answers. Inside joke revealed. Cave MIB's blacklist. Hmm. Q Poison 10 says, no shape changing. Jacob is evil and Richard is sexy. Hmm. Don Simonu says, give me those pills. 
Rick from Wisconsin says, Awesome Albert Autobiography. Flash Sideways says, Richard's Third Wish. And Katie Gallon from the What Katie Said podcast. That's whatkatiesaid.wordpress.com. Richard Alpert's Eyes, Hauntingly Good Television, Quirk, Bottle, Evil, Perfectly, Perfectly, Perfect, More Than Expected. Perfectly, Perfectly, Perfect. I love it. That's that's good. Con Artist, Big Hair Alpert, Jacob Kicks Butt, It's MIB's Cave, Captain Magnus Hanso, Hanso was first shipmate, Purgatory After All, Ray62 says, Wine is malevolence. Super Spandex. Don't listen to this guy. No flash sideways. And he's got about 30 exclamation points after that. <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> Lost Boss, who's the operator of LostBlog.com, says, Think you're dead? T-I-W-W-H. This is Wayne Henderson from Lost Casting and Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan. You can find them at MediaVoiceOvers.com. Dazed and confused. And more three words that came in last minute. Gareth UK, that's Gareth's Waste of Time podcast, which you can find on iTunes or Gareth's Waste of Time.blogspot.com. His three words. Blew my mind. Or just the ticket. Or even no shark jumping. And then Beethoven says, Hirsute Hispanic hostages. Ship Smashes Statue, Jacob, Now Hiring, and Smokey Hates Wine. And finally, SD Stream says, Who to Believe? And then we got a tweet for Recon, a late one, and this is from BenZX480, and it says, Sawyer Bang Suspect. <laughs> he sure did. Yeah, we also got some emails, Jed, you want to start off? Sure, from... TMG Loss. That's the Lost Haiku blog at tmglost.blogspot.com. Se habla español? Bill from New Jersey says, Ricardo says, oops, just wanted some medicine, dude. And Hurley plays whoopee. <laughs> Ghost reference. Very good, very good. Yeah, yeah, very good. From Sven, best episode ever. Nestor deserves Emmy. Mmm, I like. Yeah. Uh, from Adam, what an episode. Holy freaking crap. We were right. Black Rock Prisoner, they're all dead? They're in hell. Why? How? What? Confused, perplexed, dumbfounded. Makes me sad. Holy cow, that totally made up for recon and pounded what Kate does. <laughs> he, he just totally like denigrated into not using three words and had a full sentence at the end, but the excitement, yeah. the level of excitement is welcomed. Right on. From Catherine. Hurley next Jacob. All right. And Catherine also sent one in for last week's regarding recon. Cops and crazies. And from Faraday for last week regarding recon, a week episode. I concur, Faraday. But we won't get into that now. And uh, with that, you ready to get into some key scene discussion? Oh, yeah. Let's do that. All right. All right. Well, let me break it down for you, Mikey. 
key to the whole game. Breaking down the key scenes. Key scene discussion. Jed, you are quite the author here, so I'm going to let you start off. And I actually, I'm I'm happy to talk about all of this stuff. So let's let's hear your first thoughts. Well, to be honest with you, there's a lot of scenes in this episode we could talk about, um, but one of the ones that really stuck out for me when I was watching it was when Richard went to jail, uh, when the uh, father comes in and talks to him. But something I noticed right at the start, we got a little nugget of what Richard Richard was reading the Bible, and he was reading St. Luke chapter 4. Uh, so I did a quick look up of what that was all about, and it's about Jesus being tempted by the devil. In it, it says, uh, If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. That's the devil speaking to Jesus. And that, and I, I took that as, really, that's, that's Man in Black's offer to Richard. He's going to give him everything that he wants the most. Isabella. He'll give it back to him, but you must follow me. Um, and actually, just reading through that, that, that uh, Bible section, uh, there's a mention of uh, Get Behind Me, Satan, and that, Made me think of the white stripes too, and so I just like that whole thing. That was that was cool. Yeah. You, Richard's Bible reading. It's a it's just a it's a direct relation um, to MIB trying to tempt the candidates. Uh, so it, it just brought up the question: Does Jacob offering Richard eternal life serve as the devil tempting Jesus as well? Do you see what I'm saying there? Yeah. Uh that's that's a good that's a good question. However, you know, I kind of looked at it as Jacob saying, "Well, you can have a job or you can not have a job. It, I don't really care. What what would you what would you like as payment for the job?" And even though Richard asked for certain things, there were things that Jacob would not give him, which I thought was really interesting. You know, he wouldn't offer him. Isabella back he wouldn't offer him absolution for his sins right and you know uh, he did give him the first thing that he could give him and that was eternal life which brings me to a point that I wanted to make about that whole scene about Jacob and them talking or Jacob and Richard talking and that is this gives us a real key insight as to some of the actions that we've seen Richard go through in season five I was shocked you know we were all we were all kind of shocked. We thought of Richard as being this ageless and immortal person before. And then we see Daniel put a gun in his face and he looks completely scared, you know. And I had come to the assumption that that makes Richard ageless but not immortal. And we learned that, you know, he, evidently he can be killed if somebody else kills him, or so he thinks. But the reason for his fear seems to be the fact that he is a very religious person and doesn't feel he's been absolved for his sins, which would mean a life in hell. Because that's that's outside of Isabella. That's the second thing that he asks for exactly. from Jacob is absolution from his sins. And I, and I think that that's a nice connect back to even if it's even if it's a retrospective connect from the writer's aspect, it's a it's a really nice connect to take that and and employ that into Richard's story. That's great. I did not think about that. That is a great explanation as to why you would be afraid of being killed. I the the fact that he did ask to be absolved for his sins 
And Jacob said no is really interesting to me. I don't know what that means. If Jacob can give eternal life, what is the, the, the big difference? I mean, is it the fact that maybe Jacob sins don't matter? Is, is that idea of sin or maybe even heaven and hell, does that not matter to Jacob? Yeah, it's funny that you should mention that because when you talk about the way you describe malevolence is and uh, hell and he, he's describing what's in the wine bottle and he says there are many, many names for it. I think the implication is that Jacob is not a quote unquote God that can absolve sins or whatever. He, he's merely some kind of he's he's we're, we're talking about forces of, of good and evil, not not something on a religious sense of salvation or misdirection. Yet that's that's what that's the terminology that Man in Black wants to use for Richard, because he knows Richard is a Roman Catholic, and he'll identify with that. If he says the words devil and hell, that's gonna you know that's gonna reach Richard quite a bit. So I kind of thought maybe J- Jacob by you know saying this, I you know I can't absolve your sins, I can't promise you can't go to hell. But he didn't explain. I think that maybe behind it is there is no hell. Is is kind of what he's going at. But that's just the way I read it. Yeah. Well, uh, I think I, I think that's probably I would tend to agree with that. That's what I'm saying. I think it's a matter of of just good and and evil, something that is benign and something that is malicious. Very cool. Yeah. What else do you have here? Well, within that scene, I just I just wanted to mention that uh, that the father uh, Suarez that comes to the jail. Uh, I thought that actor did a really great job. And watching it the second time, I didn't catch this, but he laughs when Richard tells him that he and Isabella were playing to start a sort of family in the New World. And I just, ah, I really hated him. And he, you know, he goes on to basically sell Richard to slavery to these people. I, it, that, that's terrible. I didn't notice that. But, uh, but the follow-up where where Richard is asking for forgiveness and he says no, that ah, that was terrible. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously this is something that is very important to Richard. I mean, we saw it emphasized over and over again in this episode uh, about how important uh, his his need for for feeling like he's been absolved of, of his wrongdoing is to him. And even what's even more remarkable about that is you think about the journey that Richard's on now. Even two weeks ago. When he's in there in the Black Rock with with Jack, you know, he's now finally resolved himself to the point that he he it doesn't matter anymore. He he just assumed be anywhere else but where he is. He has decided, and he even says that at the beginning of this episode, that he he's already in hell. He's decided that that MIB is right, and that's why he goes to try and kill himself is to 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 just rid himself of the agony that he's already in. And it's why he goes to MIB in order to uh, join forces with him in this episode. Fascinating, amazing stuff. This I'm getting more impressed with this episode even as we speak. Very cool. Do, do you want to keep... you want to go on to a scene that you have? Uh, let's see here. I... Uh, I just there there was one reference in here, and I I know these are these are small references, but uh, the the whole thing about Richard giving MIB the white stone from Jacob, 
I just absolutely love that. You know, the the that's the the fact that Jacob started the inside joke more or less by giving him that stone, uh, and then we see the completion of that uh, with with MIB and the substitute when he throws it back out to the sea. Uh, I thought that was a well placed little Easter egg and and and. Uh, just a nice little shout out to to the earlier episode and a nice way to connect the overall episode and and to give you kind of a depth of the relationship that Jacob and MIB have without having to even use those two principal actors. I mean, it, when, since it was Terry O'Quinn that was throwing that stone into the into the ocean before, but it all just makes perfect sense. It all it all seems so uh, fluent. In terms of a story, I'm I'm just amazed at how well this episode in particular did that with a lot of things. But that one moment is one instance that I can cite that I was just like, "Wow, man! It just it just makes it into this huge book. It really does." And you know, a lot of people might argue, you know, it might not be the same stone, but I think that's the only reason it's even in this episode that they do that. So, with that in mind, that makes the cave MIB's hangout, right? One would think. I, I would definitely tend to come to that conclusion now that, that what we saw, that the the cave isn't a place where Jacob would hang out. It wasn't Jacob that wrote those names on the wall. We can assume that maybe MIB has been going to the lighthouse, perhaps, and getting the names off the dial and writing them down himself. Or as people come, he's scanning and he's finding out who they are and, and writing them down and then crossing them off as he needs to. Yeah, it's, it's not a, an important distinction, but I thought that was interesting, too. Very cool. Very cool. What else do you have here? Well, how about my big geek moments? Uh, when uh, this uh, Whitfield character decides to come down in the bellows of the Black Rock and uh, go all stabby on all the uh, slit on the, all the people chained up, and then Smokey arrives, that was basically the scene that I've been waiting for since we really knew about Richard. Um... You know, when we first saw the Black Rock, I, I didn't really think that we'd end up seeing uh, the, the the boat arrive and going through those moments, but I'd always imagined it. And once we found out more about Richard, I had imagined the scene of him being chained up and the smoke monster coming in and looking at him and him in that situation. And to see it actually filmed and in front of me, wow, it was unbelievable. It was absolutely, without a doubt, one of the top ten moments of Lost History. I just... I, I loved it, you know, just, you know, how, well, Richard being forced to watch all these men get slaughtered, um, Smokey attacking the crew, the blood dripping down on Whitfield, and then Whitfield being ripped up to the top of the boat. It, all that, it was just amazing. And, and then in fact, at the end of that sequence, we finally get the first ever close-up of Richard's eye. That's true. That's true. So that's just my big lost geekiness went into overdrive. <laughs> That that's that that's that's cool, man. That's awesome, you know. Uh, you know something about the that that close up, it, and, it, and it struck me as funny was, and I don't know if it was, we're supposed to be think that it's because of the passage of time or whatever. But did you notice that while Richard was being scanned, how his hair was kind of underneath his eye, and then when they went to the close up of the eye, the hair was no longer there. No. I should notice that stuff. I notice all those kind of things. No. Yeah, because I, I, I remember when uh, on the first watch I was like, "What is the scan making making his eyes 
making him like black eyed or something, you know. And then, because then when when it was gone, then he didn't have he didn't have that curl of hair underneath. And when I went back and watched it, I watched it. it was the curl was hair, the curl of hair was gone. And I don't want to say that it's just a continuity error, but I mean I can't imagine it really being anything else. But uh, just, just to, some kind of just to clarify. So wait, you're saying that when they cut to the eye close up, the curl of hair that was over his eye was missing. The, okay, when they when they were scanning him. Right. They were the shot on him had he had a curl of hair that was kind of on his cheek, but you could see it underneath his eye. Okay. And then when they do the close up on his eye, it's gone. You can't see it. You know what's really fascinating about that? It is a continuity error. I well, I could I I 99% sure it's the continuity error. But what it means is I think they went back, watched this episode, and said, Hey, we need after they shot it, they said, Hey, we need a close up of his eye. And decided to insert it. I want. It's just the, the eye moments are so fascinating to me. I wonder what it, what it means to the creators to insert it there. I'd, I'd like to know. But very cool. Yeah. Uh, what else do you have here? The sequence where MIB is prepping Richard to go after Jacob. Um, MIB admits he's smoky, and I'm not sure why because. You guys actually, I think it was you guys, talked last week a little bit about how Man in Black has an inability to lie. Yeah, that wasn't that, was, that wasn't so much me. That was Leslie. <laughs> so you disagree with that? What do you think of him then saying, "I am the Black Smoke"? What? Because he'd already gone through the sequence of uh, Isabella, who I'm assuming was Man in Black, came down and saw saw Richard. And then it, it, it acted like the smoke monster grabbed her and took her away. So why, after that, would he then say, no, I'm the black smoke, and I saw I saw the devil taking her? Well, he also used the fact that he was a black smoke, saying that to use that Jacob had taken his humanity away. And I wonder if that wasn't in order to instill further fear into Richard that, that Jacob needed to be killed. And that that point is huge. Him saying, you know, the devil betrayed me. He took my body, my humanity. I mean, that is almost... It's almost an explanation of what we're doing in this whole show, you know? It's, it's... Man in Black was human, and he had humanity, but it was taken from him. And I... Well, this is just me theorizing now like crazy, but... Uh, but but maybe in a sense that he didn't have respect for the for the human side of himself, the humanity he had, and now, um, I don't know, he's trying to prove that humans don't ha- don't necessarily have to have that within them or, or are not humane. Yeah, well, even in Jacob's explanation to Richard, he talks about how MIB believes that every human being is corrupt and everything, so it, it, it would almost kind of be a, uh, a rejection of of himself and and kind of a maybe even a point of of pride for him to point out to that he is the black smoke. Ah, I didn't think of it that way. Okay, I can yes now I can see that. But I mean you can you, you can kind of tell. I just you can't read Man in Black. You can't tell when he's playing you. I think the trick is he he's never really lying to you. Maybe this is Leslie. I'm talking Leslie right here, but maybe he, he never really lies to you. But it's just the way he spins it on you. The way he says it yeah. to you can be read either way. 
I, I think it's more a matter of what he chooses to omit. That's and that's true as well. Yep. If that's a form of lying or not. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he never gives he never gives a complete truth, but he never gives a complete lie either. Is what it seems to be. Uh, and just like just like all good statistics and facts and figures and what have you, you you can you can take any any set of circumstances and and twist it to to make your case if you're good at it. This conversation that Man in Black had with Richard was uh, filled with so many things. But I mean, him when he asked him the basic question, you know, he says like, "You and I can talk all day about what's right, what's wrong." But the main question is, is do you want your wife? Are you going to succumb to the temptation? I mean, that's that's really what we're seeing here. Is he's he's holding it in front of Richard, saying, "I can give your wife back, but you got to go do this." And and what he's given up is he's got to. He's got to kill. He's got to forego his value of humanity and choose to to be selfish and and go after what he desires, which is just his wife back. Um, you know, and and I guess Jacob kind of brings it up later. You know, talking about sin. But uh, what was cool for me though is I thought this kind of reflected. It kind of showed exactly what the Flash Sideways are about. Um, we're always seeing the Losties. They have a second chance to answer this basic question that Man in Black was proposing now. Will you sacrifice uh, your human side for the desire you want? Would Ben give up the the, the human rights to uh, love his daughter for his more selfish need for power? You know, will they choose that life of sin? I, I just thought it, it, what a loaded conversation it was so fun to watch. Absolutely, it was definitely a loaded conversation, and uh, it one of those things that you know, like you said, it just tends to bring all kinds of new depth to 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 what has to be done and what will be done in order for him to get free you know uh, it also brings uh, just the core values of, of, of humanity to mind and I, I again I'm gonna bounce back again to the scene with with Jacob and Richard and and talk about a couple of things there uh, coming out of that that we what the things that me and you had talked about during the hiatus even about free will versus versus fate uh were really solidified throughout this whole episode and and nothing much more than than Jacob saying i i want humanity to make its decision by itself i want it to be able to and i think that what the the the, the flash sideways is showing us is that they can you know that that the the flash sideways is as much about Jacob's plan as it is about MIB's promise. And uh, at the core, most of these characters are are making the right choices without his help, and that's what he wants them to do. Uh, some other things to note about that scene, and just when Jacob was beating up uh, Richard, that kind of made me think about the way when Jacob's name is spoken or has been spoken by someone around all of the others, how every, you notice how everybody seems to wince up a little bit in fear. <laughs> and I was wondering if it, if it might have something to do, since we see Jacob treat Richard the way he does at, at the beginning of that scene, uh, if maybe Richard has been relaying that to, to the others uh, as they've been going along. And that's why Jacob's name, you know, when whenever somebody says, Jacob wanted it done, 
everybody just kind of like freezes up and says, oh, okay. <laughs> this guy just kicked the living crap out of me. Serious, guys. I walked up and he just beat the snot out of me, tried to drown me. It's nuts. The guy's a warrior. <laughs> yeah, that's that's hilarious. You know what I did like? Um, is it Mark Pellegrino? Is that his name? Who plays Jacob? Yeah. Um, in the incidents, I guess we've, we've just always seen Jacob as a more calm, talking guy. He doesn't have a lot of energy. He shows up, kicks the crap out of Richard, and he's just yelling at him, you know, like, who gave you this? And I, just the, just his offbeat performance was fantastic this episode. Absolutely. There there was an intensity with with both him and and. Uh, Titus. What's the actor's name? Uh, Titus Welliver? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there was an. They, they both just. They brought their A game to this episode. I thought it was just amazing. Yeah, and they, actually, the moment you were just talking about, too, um, you when we were discussing free will, um, when, when Jacob's saying, I want them to help themselves, what do you make of. Uh, Richard says, um, but y- you need to step in and help. If you don't do it, the man in black's going to step in and do it, right? What, what did you make of J- Jacob's thoughts there? What was that? Oh, I know. He, 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 he I, you know, he, he, I think he, that he really doesn't want to involve himself with him, but it was, it was one of those moments where I loved that look on, on, uh, the actor's face or on Jacob's face when, when it's, it's almost like the wheels start turning. It's almost like the 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 big plan, the plan that we're seeing realized now, is starting to come into play for him right in that moment. That's what I wanted to hear. That's why you get the big bucks, Matt. That's it. You're right. That's so. That's the moment that when when we reach the end of this series, Jacob's plan will be finished. He thought it through right then. That's so cool. Yeah, I, that, that, that's what I got. It's just like all of a sudden everything. There's a there's a greater understanding of how he can he can deal with what he's having to deal with at the moment through the, through this plan, and it's it's starting to come to him. And that's when he's that's when he then kind of slowly at first kind of just looks to Richard and says, "Hey, you want to help me with that?" You know, more or less. Amazing. That's cool. I, that that that's my scene. So you got you got something? I think that's all I had really because I I not put much down in the notes after I saw all of yours. I thought we could just talk about your notes and they were awesome. Thank you so much for putting all of that thought into this. Sure, man. It's great. All right. Well, you ready to move on to the Giacchino moment? Yes, absolutely, sir. We're covering Richard's theme this week, of course. The Giacchino moment.
this week's Giacchino Moment, as you can obviously tell, we have a brand new theme to explore, and that is, of course, Richard's theme. A really nice theme. It's eight measures long, uh, eight groups of four beats, and it really kind of takes you on a journey all of its own, which is as convoluted and as complex as, as Richard really is. I loved this backstory of Richard, the way it was all run together, because we got to see all of those different sides and the different things that Richard had to go through. And G. Kino's melody on its own kind of portrays that a little bit. More interestingly is the way he's chose to harmonize it in certain cases in certain scenes in this episode in order to place it in the proper place, where you still identify the theme with Richard himself, but you identify his situation as being different in each instance. Now, the scene that I played for you first is the first time that we hear that, and that is, of course, when he's riding on the horse to arrive at his house and to Isabella, and she's, of course, ill. That theme, uh, when I listened to it for the first time, I thought, wow, they're really connecting here to his religious ties, especially when the cross came out and everything, because the first four measures of this eight-measure theme is based on a Dorian scale. The Dorian scale is a mode of a major scale, and its difference from a pure minor scale, it is a minor scale, but its difference from the pure minor scale is that its sixth is raised, but its seventh is flatted. Now, in a pure minor scale, we have a sixth and seventh that are both flatted. In a melodic minor scale, ascending, we have a sixth and seventh that are raised on the way up, or they're naturalized, and then flatted on the way down. In a harmonic minor scale, we have a flatted sixth and a raised seventh. But in the Dorian mode, we get a raised sixth and a flatted seventh. So it's unique in in the way that it sounds. And one of the reasons why I thought it was connected so much to Richard's faith is because the Dorian mode is a mode that was used a lot especially from the Renaissance period on, by the Catholic Church during the sacrament, during the Mass, uh, when certain phrases or psalms or, or actions were done, certain things were sung, and they were usually sung in the Dorian mode. This is a mode that was used a lot by the Church. And I'm not sure if G. Kino decided to use the Dorian mode for that reason or not, but it certainly does tie in to Richard's past quite well, if you look at it from that aspect. Let me just play for you again this melody and its harmony on the piano. And one thing I want you to notice is in the first four measures of the phrase, listen to the A note. Let me play it here for you on the piano. And then in the second four measures of the phrase, let me play for you here this A flat. So listen for these two notes, and you'll hear where they come in in the melody and how it changes the flavor of the melody. Now, once again, in that first four measures, you have the A natural, and it's giving us that Dorian feel. 
it also, because of the way that he uses harmony with the tonic minor and the major third, you get a sense of uh, an older feel. And, and that's why the Dorian mode gives us that feel, is because it has been around for a long time. And uh, it's something that we're very familiar with, even if, even if you've not quite heard it that way or you've not participated in, in Catholicism, you get a sense from the Dorian mode that things are old. And so that gives us a, a, a gives us a place in time to put Richard, especially with the scene being in the 1860s when we first get the theme. And of course, there's the matter of Richard's agelessness. So that helps a great deal as well to implement that into his persona musically. Now, the second part of the theme, the second four measures, I kind of look at it as more of Richard's journey because what we're hearing here then is we get back to a more tonicized version of of C minor. We get back to the natural minor sound, which has the A flat in it. And we have a journey where he goes from the F minor chord to the E flat chord. And, and you get this descending set of motives that give us a sense of, of the kind of suffering that Richard has had throughout his life. And it makes us feel for him. It makes us feel strongly for him. Uh, I certainly did. Isabella! I will put a transcription up on Lostpedia again at the musical themes page. If there isn't one there already, I'll make sure to get one up sometime this week so that you can see the notes that are actually being played for this theme. But let's talk now about the way G. Kino applies harmony here. The first part of that melody has the thing that makes it sound kind of minor and then major and then minor. And he's constantly resolving things down to the third of a chord. And what that does is that gives us a sense of incompleteness. It gives us a sense of not so much unresolved, but even a major chord when resolving to the third can have kind of a sad kind of twinge to it. And I think that really tells us a lot about his journey. But one of the more interesting things about the way G. Kino has applied this theme so many different ways this week is particularly in the scene where Richard is going to find Jacob in order to kill him when he comes out and he sees the statue for the first time. Now the melody is placed against a palette of harmony that really isn't connected with it. And this really helps to accentuate the fact that you have Richard. Here he is. Here's his story. There's his theme. But at the same time, he's in an environment in which he has no clue what he's about to do. He knows what he's supposed to do, what MIB told him. He knows what he wants to do. But he's in a totally unfamiliar surrounding. So let's listen to this scene real quick. And you'll hear how the harmony is completely different. You'll still hear the melody, but you'll hear how the harmony for this scene is completely different than what it was when we heard him with Isabella. Thank you. 
again, with G Kino having to introduce a new theme and try and develop it with these courses of events that are so dramatic, you have to kind of give him credit for, for not going too overboard with the whole thing. It, it would have been very easy to have turned this into a total Gone with the Wind thing, and I even have made a reference in the initial reaction for the Lost Mythos that I thought that this theme was a little Gone with the Windish, but... In actuality, when you look at it from, from its components and, and the way that G. Kino has applied it, you have to give him credit for, for not overdoing it too much. So that's the G. Kino moment for this week. Thanks. Five, got some interesting theories on what we can and can't do here. I want some friggin' answers! Theories and Answers. Theories and answers. I don't have Leslie to say answers to this week, so I'll have to do it myself. Answers! Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, obviously some of the answers that we got this week, Jed, was about the Black Rock and about Towerette. And I have to say that I was a little bit disappointed in, in this whole explanation. That, Well, from MIB's perspective anyway, that the, the Black Rock just kind of smashed through Towerette. I kind of interpreted it more as being the wave that did more of the damage to the statue than anything else because the black rock you think about the point of view of the prisoners they're in the bow of the ship right so if they're that low then the worst thing that ship's going to do is take off the statue's head well, the, 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 I, I, I looked at the shot a few times because we put it in our show and first let me say that that uh, that Leslie was so excited, she actually mentioned you during this answer. She's like, oh, Matt's going to be so excited. We got that answer. And she's going to be so sad now that you, you did, didn't like it. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, actually, the shot is from the deck of the Black Rock. It's from the deck. You see the head of Towerette, and you're on the deck as it rams into the head. Oh, okay. So, so right. it... I thought it was. I thought it was from from the guy's point of view looking out the hole. That's my bad. No, that's okay. But uh, I'm with you. I'm with you so far on not believing it. So continue, sir. Yeah, it was just uh, that. Just the if that were to happen, the ship wouldn't be as intact as it, as it as it was, uh, and the way we've known it to be. I just happened. To, I think that the wave had to be taking it out at the same time in order for there to be that little damage. Uh, to the boat itself. And you know what? That's probably... Uh, we should go with that, too, because the boat could hit the statue and just bounce off, and most of the damage was the wave. That The boat's just not going to have that much force, you know? Right. That, that's what I'm thinking. I, I mean, it's a small issue. At least, at least we now have a definite time period as to when the statue was destroyed. Exactly. Or do we? Well, and the reason why I say or do we is because we have that scene in the incident where they're what about maybe a mile offshore, and uh, and Man in Black and and Jacob are looking out at them, and then then they're getting closer and it's nighttime already. Do you think that this was possibly? And we talked about this in the initial reaction uh, earlier this week that. Maybe there's a possibility that that was that final time flash when Locke was going down to uh, down the well, and then Sawyer and them saw the statue, 
that possibly that that was at the same time that Jacob and Mimby, MIB are having that conversation and that Locke's final flash might have just moved things just slightly for people who weren't the Losties who were flashing and, and put them in a, in a, and put the Black Rock in a spot maybe just later that evening where the storm was then raging and, and they were closer to the wave. The other thing that I noticed about that is why wouldn't they make some kind of effort Badwig or whatever to make uh, MIB's hair the same length and Jacob's hair basically the same length if it's if that was the actually the black rock out there during the incident there's a, there's a lot there first you're going to make my brain melt with trying to think uh, I, I guess I got to say it so we, we're, we're saying that the, that the island people were doing some jumping in a different ratio than the Losties were doing jumping during the tide jumps? Well, I'm not sure if they actually were or not. I'm just saying that it's a possibility that the island moved, and since the Black Rock was in that, possibly within that circling, encircling encompass, that it it obviously moved with the island. Um, have we come to a definite conclusion? I guess we have, that just the Losties are, are what's flashing through time and not really the island itself. That's the way I took that. But I, I, I tend to okay. go for the very easy answer with these. And in the easy answer on first the hair thing, obviously, loss fails at wigs more than they succeed. So I'm, I'm going to say, if I'm on that set, no, screw it, the hair's fine. Let's just go. It's negligible. Um, but the day-to-night thing is tough because I noticed it. Um, I, I, I All I had in my mind was during the incident, it was day, and they show up during the day. So somehow... Those guys inside the belly of the Black Rock did not notice where they were until night. Yeah, I don't know about that, but because uh, because we only they were the ones screaming, "Look, there's an island!" Correct? The people in the, the the slaves were screaming that. Right, and and the other thing is, is of course though that they are much closer and they only have a little hole to look out of, so they may not have, like you said, they may not have been aware at all of of where they were earlier in the day. But we, I mean, we never got that point of view anyway. The, to me, the real question is: is how the Black Rock can be within a mile, and and even those ships of those times go at least 12, 14 knots with full sails open. So it's not like it would take them a full day to get in a mile from from uh, from where they were to get to the island. They, they were they were busy at planning uh, their day, you know. Magnus was sitting around writing out what they were going to do when they actually arrived on the island. They just sat out there doing it before they arrived. I have no idea. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that out there. It, it's just one of those things that, you know, it's not really important. It's, it's not really anything that, that really matters. It's just something that's fun to ponder about. Well, I, I, How about you? I take, I take the other side. I think it's, it's, it's one of those things that I wish the creators would tighten up. Because it spends us spinning out of control. It sen- excuse me, sends us spinning out of control with, with why, why, why make the change? I think they did it at night because the computer, you know, graphics, special effects are a lot easier. If you can darken things up, you're more likely to buy it, and it's more dramatic. But uh, I don't know. That's strange. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, yeah, I see that you have uh, an answer to something that I would have never thought to put in the answer section. 
Right, yes. My answer is, the answer to the question, can Nestor Carbonell act absolutely, positively? The man has been completely underused in this series. I mean, come on. Now, I guess they've just never given Richard huge scenes. He, Nestor took this episode and owned it, man. He owned this series from this episode. He, he shamed Matthew Fox. He shamed everybody at the beginning. He, he blew my mind. I, what a great job he did. He did do a fantastic job. And, and uh, as terms of him being underused in this series, uh, naturally, I, I think what you have to look at most is that this story couldn't be told anytime sooner. Uh, and this is the one that he really gets to stretch his legs out on. And up until this point, we he's been needed to be kept more mysterious. So he can't really, he he couldn't really be used in in even in a dramatic sense so much uh, until his story was about to be revealed. I, I think it, it it was more of a it was more of a, a writer's uh, plan than a writer's. Uh, hazard I guess I'll say this to you though we've got seven episodes left and I think Nestor just he owned this even more than uh, Desmond owned an episode I, I, I connected with him so much it's just too bad we only have seven episodes now because I want to follow Richard all the more I, he's the guy I want to see the next episode the most yeah that's true yeah me too especially now with uh, Isabella telling him what he has to do Exactly. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? This whole thing about, uh, in ter- just in terms of answers, uh, this whole thing about Magnus Hanso coming to light. Now, I just have to ask this because I, I, I only rewatched the episode once and I didn't really pay attention. It was Whitfield that actually purchased Richard on behalf of of Magnus Hanso, right? Yeah, we we do not see Magnus Hanso in the episode. Okay, we do not see Magnus Hanso. Is that his voice that we heard above the Black Rock? No, the voice in the... Well... Oh, hold on a second. M- perhaps, maybe, during the commotion of when they're crashing into the statue, um, you could attribute something there, but when they bring up... The captain, the captain's died already. They're 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 on the ship, and it's before Whitfield comes down and kills everyone that he says the, the captain's dead. Okay. So, he, he, here's my weird thing with this: is Hanso has been such a small little uh, fact. He's just been a note on the on the uh, orientation films, right? That that you know these guys fund Dharma Initiative. Why is it so important to not have hired an actor to play the captain? Why make up this character Whitfield? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, it it just it makes me think that they're working hard not to show us who Hanso is, and this is this is going crackpotty, and I don't even believe it myself. But the simple fact that they didn't show him makes me think that hiring an actor to portray that person, we might think he looks like someone. It, it might affect like if if Jack's a descendant of Hanso and doesn't know it, like we might realize from the character. Something I don't know, but that just seems crackpotty. I, I just don't know why they didn't. Uh, why make up Whitfield when you could have used Hansa? Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, the whole Hanzo name is 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 
just a way to connect everything with the island. The Dharma Initiative. Alvar, of course, was the found was the uh, funder for the Dharma Initiative, and it's probably no stretch to to assume that he's a relative of Magnus. Uh, so maybe it's just to to prove to us that there is a, a family lineage of people who are aware of the island, whether they have anything to do with it or not. That that uh, the, the the quote-unquote location of the island has been, uh, or or at least the Hanzo family has been drawn to that island in one way or another, just like many uh, of our losties have been drawn to the island. Have we did we see Hanzo on any like the dial or on on the wall or anything like that? That I don't know, my friend. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, I don't know the answer to that one. Yeah. Either way, it was a failed mission in terms of Magnus. If he was already dead once they uh, once they were had arrived, so I, I get, uh, maybe I, here's my question: They could have just every line that Whitfield had could have been Captain Magnus Hanso. Why do you think the writers chose to have him be an outside character that's referenced only? Is it something that he's killed by the smoke monster? Is that what you were alluding to with the candidacy? Well, I I don't know if he, I, I'm just wondering if he if if he was a candidate or not if uh, that had the reason to do with the fact that the Black Rock was brought to the island in the first place. I don't know. It's very strange. We we need to tap on Drano or Alex to uh, figure this thing out for us. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, what else do you have here, Jed? Um, what was with that crazy butterfly moment? Uh, when we came back from commercial, the butterfly kind of flew into the black rock as Richard's trying to escape. What would you what'd you make of that? Yeah, I I still don't know, Jed. That's that's one you guys. I to be honest, I hadn't noticed it until I watched your initial reaction to the to it, and I was like, wow, that that is strange. Um, I don't know if it was just to establish. The, a nice shot of the Black Rock, and then and then just follow it in to to show Richard. But uh, it sure it sure did. I mean, it it stuck out. It was obviously not fantastic uh, animation by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, and I don't that may have been done on purpose in order to to alert us to it too. With these guys, that's the thing. There, there's so much detail, and sometimes things they put things in that that people notice that they think they'll never notice, and then sometimes they put things, I think, right in front of us that nobody notices. So uh, it's hard to say what exactly it was for, but I haven't found any other reference uh, or thought of any other reference in any other episode as to a butterfly other than what you was talking about with the moth, but it doesn't really seem to connect um, there either. We had a viewer send in an email to us, um, and, sh- and she brought up. She was happy we brought that up because she saw it, and she said uh, that it was because you know Charlie. Well, the idea of the moth was it's it's trying to get out of this cocoon. You know, Locke was showing the cocoon, and, and if you you know help it, it's going to be weakened, but it's got to you know escape on its own. And correlating that to Richard being locked up, and how she said that Jacob left him there knew that he was there and left him there to get out on his own. But, uh, you know, evil MIB comes over and lets him loose. So, that yeah. was interesting. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's, a nice, that's a nice metaphoric theory. That's cool. That's it. Exactly. And that's all it is. I, I, mytho- mythologically, I don't think it's anything. Right. 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 Uh, let's see. 
keep going. You've got a list of stuff here. Well, you guys talked about the knife on your instant reaction, initial reaction, excuse me. Um, so what, you, what was the conclusion you came to? Was the knife that MIB handed Richard the same one that Dogen handed Saeed? I don't know that we actually came to a conclusion because Donald <laughs> wanted to stop talking about it before <laughs> we did. <laughs> and you can imagine why. Um, yeah. But... The the funny thing is is that uh, I I am convinced that it, it is the same knife, and because Jacob never returns it to Richard, he he keeps it, and the next time we see it is that it's being kept in the temple. That to me, it tells me that it is the same knife. Now whether the knife is magical or has any special importance other than the fact that it's just old, I have no idea. Uh, but I, I, I am of the opinion that it is the same knife. What do you think? Um, mm, I, I would have to go back and look at everything. I guess it doesn't really matter is my answer because I don't, I don't think it's going to be a miraculous special knife, just like right. you said. Um, right. I am intrigued though by uh, MIB repeating what Dogen said, which is you know why Donald doesn't want to talk about it. But uh, and what do you take from that? You know MIB saying do not let Jacob speak. Is there now value? Are they? Are they? Are they? The snake charmer. When they say something, is there something mythological? Is it just not, uh, uh, you know, a theoretical? Oh, if you start listening to them, you might you might agree with them. It, it, there's some sort of real reason not to listen. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we saw that it didn't matter that Jacob spoke to Ben. So. Ah, oh, right. I don't think that there's. I, I, I think what that that kind of actually proves what Donald is thinking is right that perhaps the the wording didn't have anything to do with the fact that Saeed couldn't kill MIB. Um, MIB just couldn't be killed anyway. But I don't I don't take that to make I don't make that be what Dogen says about everything else not to mean something. I just think that it was just he was he was setting Saeed up. This is another one of those times where I kind of want to take the writers and shake them. Why, why guys? You could have just said anything. Why you got to correlate it to the lines that have been said already to make us spin our heads? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to go with an I don't know on that one, too. How about right. we'll just do a quick few more of these, bud. Uh, so, Alana is supposed to protect six people. How come she almost tears up when she hears it? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and, and how did she get cured? It, those, those two, those two scenes. I, I mean, we had the direct continuation, I believe, of, of the conversation from the incident while she was still in the bed. And then the other one I took to meet to be at a later time. What did you think about that? Yeah, we had that conversation on our show, and I had forgotten that she was fully healed. I guess I wasn't paying attention. I was taking notes. Um, but I could see it both ways. I could see that Jacob was there just for one time, and he did heal her. So I think that has potential there. I mean, if you can give a guy eternal life, I don't see why he can't heal someone. And the island has healing properties. Maybe that's Jacob. That's that's true. Um, and if I often associated Jacob principally with with the Swan Hatch energy um, myself. Mm-hmm. They're the energy that was uh, they were trying to tap into when they were making the Swan Hatch. So uh, I kind of I kind of saw it as as all being a quasi. Uh, scientific answer. Okay, well, it's this electromagnetic electromagnetic that 
that that helps people to heal faster and so that that's the source of Jacob's power as well you know or I don't want to say that he is one and the same with the power although I've heard that theory before um, but I, I believe that somehow that is connected and I'm not so sure that that could be taken off island or not I'm not sure about it either I guess, and it's open to however you want to feel, because who knows? They, they didn't make it evident at all. They cut back to the island, so who who knows at all? Right. Yeah. Well, we've we've stepped into a much more mythological uh, uh, territory in terms of uh, almost a, more of a fantasy realm yeah. this season than we ever had before. I mean, if, before there was always a, a pretty clear cut way you could scientifically. Or at least quasi scientifically explain things. Now we're just in we're in total territory where we're talking about you know containing evil for the you know against the rest to protect the rest of the world from, and uh, that that that's much more in the fantasy realm. So I I, I think that some things I'm I'm definitely not going to disagree with you that it's a possibility that that he healed her. I just uh, I just saw it as happening over a course of time, just. Uh, by the change of mm-hmm. shot and the way she was mm-hmm. sitting up and, and the fact that she was healed. and I, I don't recall if he was wearing the same clothes or not. W- was there a shot of him where you could tell? I Well, he was in the black again. All I know, I, I take note of the white and black all the time, and he was still in the black. And still in the jack, he was still in that black coat, big overcoat. But I guess the, 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 big, the main question, though, is she was crying. Why was her reaction... Crying, and I kind of had a theory that her crying is is her finally realizing that okay, now she's known that her destiny is to protect these people, and she knows that she's going to die at the end of this. At protecting them means her life, so it was kind of that sad acceptance of okay, it's time, it's here, it's time to do this. That you know, crazy theory, but uh, that I I I, I kind of like that. That's that's pretty awesome, you know. Um, didn't Jacob say something like this is what you prepared for yes yep yeah yeah that would that would make a lot that would make a lot more sense actually I like that that's good Jed all right yeah I got I got it it's good yeah <laughs> do, do you want me to go a few more of these uh sure just rattle them off let's go all right uh Richard returning to man in black so the set they're in, I think, is vitally important. Did you notice it? What is the set they're sitting in? It's a big chair. It's some sort of ruins. I thought maybe is it a previous culture? Then I went, oh, is this perhaps Man in Black's home where his crazy mother lived? Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. I because they, they went back to it. That's where Richard buried the cross. And in fact, there was really cool. When he first returns to Man in Black in 1867 or whenever this thing's happening, uh, there's this small tree behind them. And then when he goes back to get the cross in 2007, the tree is gigantic. This big, beautiful, full-of-life tree, um, which was really impressive. I think they, they specifically put it in there. So that, that set, to me, I think is going to end up being something. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that place obviously has some importance to MIB or at least it did at that time so mm-hmm. it, I, I, I I like the thought that it, it it might be where he grew up or or where his insane mother treated him badly and gave him things he 
had difficulty getting over. <laughs> cool, I, man! I'm doing great. I need to be on the Mythos Cast here. I'm, I'm, yeah, you, I, I, we need to set you up with Axel more often. <laughs> I, don't, I don't usually do theories. Well, back to the show itself. That scene, Titus Welliver, uh, he was really good this episode. But that scene in particular, I was creeped out when uh, what was it? He said he, he was saying about about he called him the devil. He said. The devil, he can be very convincing. And that face, that's when I think, I totally bought now, he is the devil. I just, it was so serpenty, it was so creepy that he could be very convincing. He was just obviously talking about himself when he said it. Yeah. Yeah. It, he's evil incarnate or whatever <laughs> Donald makes fun of, of Dogen saying it. But, uh... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put a specific label on him, but yeah, the, he's he's definitely the representative of evil for sure. And and that you're right. That scene did definitely point that out. Okay, one last one last question for me. Um, and Man in Black keeps saying sooner than you think. What what, what does he mean by that? Sooner than you think. And like at the end when Jacob and him are talking, and he says, "I'll see you again sooner than you think," and he said it. Said it to, to Richard too, right? Yeah. Uh, he did say that to Richard, the very same thing. Yeah, and uh, I think that it was his intent uh, when he said that to Richard that he he still had the intent on killing Richard. Um, however, uh, then the boy intervened and told him you can't kill him, and I don't know if that's changed him or in any way or not. And that last scene, anyway, with with uh, Locke, uh, when in the present, day, the last scene of the present day, with uh, Locke kind of looking, uh, mm-hmm. looking at the at Richard and them over by the tree, that was creepy enough. You know, it was almost like, uh, yeah, he was going to return and, and kill Richard anyway. I think, you know, when Richard said, uh, "Can I change my mind?" or whatever, and was screaming at him. I think that's what called him there, and and he was he was going to. He was going to try and take care of Richard anyway. I mean, this is just a, a total crackpot, but it I, he just had to, to stop or, or whatever for whatever reason. I'm not sure. guess we'll have to I'm wait until next week. I'm with you. When Richard was there saying, uh, you know, calling him back, I was like, goodbye, Richard. That's the end. We got this awesome episode, and, and Smokey's going to roll up and kill him, you know? Yeah. But uh, I'm glad I'm glad it didn't happen. Yeah, it was it was uber creepy. Yeah. But I mean, the tag on ending with the man in black and Jacob, where he breaks the bottle. They, you know, oh uh, yeah, that was that was incredible. And it, yeah. the other thing though to consider is that for for folks like man in black and Jacob, sooner than you think could be a hundred years. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, it depends on how old these guys really are and how long they've been doing this. And obviously, uh, at least according to Jacob, they've been doing it for a, a long, long time. And of course, of course, according to MIB, he's been trapped for a long, long time as well. You know, he, he did tell Richard, he said, I was here long before your boat got here. And, uh, and Jacob, of course, said, uh, people have been coming here for a long time. And so, we get the we definitely get the sense that uh, these guys have been around forever. We didn't need this episode to tell us that, but it was it was just hammered home again. So sooner than you think could easily be a millennium for all we know. You know what though? I gotta say something. I kind of got the impression that 
Richard was the first guy that Man in Black sent to kill Jacob. I can't recall exactly what he said. Well, when the I think at the the ending when Jacob walked up and said, "You tried to kill me." It was like it was the first time that ever happened. Did you get that feeling? I did. Um I I I really kind of did because the way Jacob reacted for one thing, um and I don't know if it was a reaction to the knife or just to the fact that there was somebody coming to where he was or whatever, but it, he seemed very, you know, I mean, we just, we haven't seen Jacob be aggressive like that, you know, ever. Of course, we've seen very little of Jacob, but even um, in in what we've seen this season, it just seemed totally out of character. And, and so it may be him reacting to a situation for the first time. And that's what it seemed like. Yeah. I, I guess I always thought that these guys had tried to kill each other over and over and over again. But uh, but it's cool. We're, I, I, if, I, I think it is now. We're seeing the first time. That, that yeah. Was well, and that whole conversation from the incident, you know how badly I want to kill you right now. Right. right. And, and he says, I'll be right here. You know, um, it, it's almost like, uh, to me, that was, that was the, 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 the stepping off point. You're right. That was the last straw. He'd had it. And it was that, in theory, next, well, few days later, but we could say that week he sent Richard to kill him. Right. Exactly. Huh. Huh. Very cool. So was that maybe the first time that Smoke Monster read somebody and used the information he read against Jacob? Well, now, that we're not entirely sure because Jacob did say that there had been people... Many people had come before, and that they were. Didn't he say that they were all dead? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm not so sure that that uh, MIB hadn't just tried to corrupt or kill them, or had killed them before. But if if he, I, I mean, maybe it was just a matter of trying to escape, and he's just found out that uh, the only way he can escape is if Jacob is dead, or it. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I honestly. That's a- it's a, yeah. those, those are questions to ponder, though, for certain. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, in our forecast feedback last week, we asked uh, what anybody thought was padlocked in the sub. And uh, in our poll, we had uh, 30% of the folks thought it might be some kind of weapon to be used against MIB. Uh, 46% thought it will be a major character locked up in there. 7% thought a minor character. And 15% thought something else, and we got a variety of something else's. Uh, in terms of major characters, though, we got four votes for Desmond. Uh, mm-hmm. We uh, got uh, one vote for Desmond, Penny, and Charlie, all of them, all together. Um, and that Charlie is just uh, knows that Ben is trying to kill Penny, and so he's kidnapped them to keep them safe. Um, another person just wrote in, I think it's pretty interesting there are two locks, don't you? And that Sawyer noticed and touched one of them. I suppose that's in reference to Sawyer's alliance with MIB. Oh, my. Uh, one person put in, uh, uh, one person suggested that it might be Aaron locked up in there. And the funniest one that we got was that somebody suggested it was Jimmy Hoffa's butt, 
Jimmy Hoffa's body locked up in the, in the padlock. Well, it's about time we find that. I mean, if that'd be a good answer for Lost to give us, that would yeah. I, I, that'd be a good checkoff. Well, where'd you go with it, Matt? What did you think? Uh, I'm I'm on this I'm on the slant that it is uh, some kind of weapon to be used against MIB. How about you? I'm of course I'm on the fence, of course. I'm I'm probably leaning more towards the weapon as well. But I could I don't know how Desmond's fitting into this uh, this show. He's a, he's a lead actor that hasn't been in a single episode except for LAX. So he's yeah, that's come a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, you'd almost have to think that if he's going to be on the island at all, if he's not simply going to be like the central character uh, that can reveal all about the X timeline. That he would almost have to be on that sub somehow, right? And I don't. I, and I guess I don't really want that, to be honest with you. I kind of like. I love Desmond, but pulling him away from Penny and Charlie, just that ending they had was fine for that character. I'd love to see him all the time in the, in the Flash Sideways, but uh, I don't know if I'm prepared to deal with him back on the island. Oh, right. I understood. Well, uh, we don't really have a question for next week because this week we got pretty much a lot of answers and any other questions we've kind of already asked them here. Great theories, Jed. Great thoughts. I really appreciate that, sir. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. All right. You ready to do your Jedly moment? I'm ready. All right. And now for the Jedly section. For my first and last Jedly section, I wanted to visually compare and contrast two scenes from Lost. The opening sequence with Jacob and the Man in Black from The Instant, and the final scene with Jacob and MIB from Ab Eterno. The reason to compare the two is obvious. These scenes make up the core story that Lost is telling. And looking deep into that story is really what most podcasters are doing, so I wanted to take a different approach and look at how each scene was handled visually how characters were framed, how the camera was used, the flow of editing, and, and so forth. Now, the incident was directed by Jack Bender, who is really the largest visual leader for Lost. He executive produces, he directs, and basically makes up all the major visually stylistic choices for the show. He's directed nearly every single season premiere and season finale for the series, and has directed the most episodes of any director on the show. I would label Jack Bender as a more bravura director. He does more flashy camera moves and is always challenging the, the norm of TV direction. For instance, Bender is responsible for the episode Man of Science, Man of Faith. That was the season premiere of season two. That episode opens with uh, a very taut and perfected sequence uh, with the Losties finding Desmond in the bottom of the hatch. Think of that crazy shot of the camera gliding down the swan hallways up into the faces of Locke and Jack. That, my friend, is bravura direction. So for the instant opening, the sequence where we would first meet Jacob and Man of Black, he took a more subtle approach, actually. His camera movement was limited to one revealing tracking shot. That shot started from behind of Man in Black and moved to his front. It was right before Man in Black announced, do you know how badly I want to kill you? This really is the only moving shot within the sequence, uh, and so Bender didn't make a huge impact with uh, 
huge camera movements like he did in Man of Science, Man of Faith. Instead, Bender found impact within the cuts. As the scene wraps and Man in Black leaves, the camera cuts wider and wider several times, revealing the Tauret statue that Jacob lives in. These cuts are considered smash cuts, or rather jump cuts. The jump cuts because the action within the frame is not resolved before the cut. Now that means Man in Black, he doesn't fully walk out of the frame, nor does the camera adjust its framing to either include him or exclude him to, to create a sense of continuity for the viewer. Continuity is instead purposely abandoned to draw attention and build shock and then reveal the Tauret statue. This is a real demonstration of a competent artist who knows how to use the language of filmmaking in an artistic way without being blatantly abstract. In contrast, we have the scene from Avitano, where Jacob and Man in Black speak once again. The episode was directed by Tucker Gates, who's done only a handful of episodes for Lost. And the differences between the scenes is vast. Gates opts to use a more standard approach of staging the scene and opens the sequence with a tracking shot to establish things. He then moves into a variance of close-ups. The sequence is the definition of solid TV production. And what that means is within TV, you have a limited schedule to accomplish a lot of work. So doing bravura shots like Bender are sacrificed for a rhythm of setups that are consistent for the crew. Where Gates finds his impact, though, is within the composition of the sequence. He sits Man in Black atop a hill, looking out at his island, his private hell. The tracking shot emphasizes the vast size of the island, while also showing the limitations of his space. Man in Black is framed as equal size to the island, a great visual metaphor of his imprisonment and revolt against it. The tracking shot illustrates a man, or devil I guess, who is trapped within these beautiful green mountains of a world-protecting island. Gates keeps the sequence very simple. After several close-ups between Man in Black and Jacob, he cuts back to that same tracking shot that he established things with. And he ends up with a cut of the smashing of the bottle on the log. The sequence is empty of showy, shocking camera movement or editing tricks. But the impact is still great, only created in a simpler way. Two amazing sequences, two completely different film languages, one amazing series, and that is the one and only Jedly section. Thanks for getting my back on that whole beach issue. You should think it was a stupid idea. Well, what does that say about you agreeing with me? Let's figure out something better before we get there. Well, I'm open to suggestions. Feedback. Hey guys, it's uh, Methodic John, and was just reflecting back on the podcast and wanted to call in. I don't know if it's your podcast has resulted in me having a higher awareness of the musical score of the show and a greater appreciation, but I felt like this week's episode was more instrumental than maybe other episodes. Maybe there's something to that, maybe not, but I thought it was a really good episode. I, I think that they're finally moving things forward pretty substantially with mythology, but, um, you know, uh, I'm surprised we got the answer to Towerette, but relieved, and I do think that, um, you know, some of the other mysteries, like the food drops, aren't going to get answered, but, you know, looking back, maybe we already have an answer to that. That might be as simple as, um, 
a food drop that should have zigged should have zagged and uh, ended up in the 2004 instead of the 19, you know, 1980s. So could could be something like that. But uh, all in all, good episode. It's really hard to imagine uh, you know, loss being over and. You know, it is what it is, and uh, we're going to have to watch what's left on TV, which I guess is entertaining, but nowhere near as good. So love to uh, hear what you guys think of the episode. Love to hear more analysis on the instrumentals. And, um, you know, just enjoy the podcast. And uh, I guess here's hoping next week is uh, another really great Lost episode. Bye-bye. And thank you, Methodic John, for that phone call. Very nice to have. And I think we're all in agreement with you about the score being huge in, in this episode. It was absolutely very big. It's a nice, refreshing kind of change. It, it, it actually, one theme pertaining throughout the whole episode was very different for Lost, and G. Kino did a great job. Feedback. And we got quite a bit. Actually, uh, we're recording a little early this week, so we didn't get as much feedback from this for this particular episode as we did stuff from last week. So we have a phone call from Big Daddy Dez. Hi, Matt and Leslie. It's uh, your St. Louis pal, Big Daddy Dez, breaking radio silence for the first time, as I am currently driving back from another Missouri hotspot, Lake of the Ozarks, without access to... Uh, electronic written word. Um, you had mentioned the podcast that I was listening to that you wanted to know what is inside the locked room in the submarine. Well, I think I figured it out and I'm going to explain my thought. I believe later on in the season we are going to see Charles Widmore invite MIB down inside the sub. He's going to undo the padlock. They will walk into the room. Standing before them is a six-foot-tall wooden ankh. Then MIB will pick up the ankh, smash it over his thigh, unveiling a papyrus scroll. He will unroll the scroll, rhyme intended. The camera will Go over MIB's shoulder, zero in on the unrolled papyrus to show a short English message stating, dinner is ready, come home now, love mama in black. Thanks so much. Love the show. Keep it up. Bye-bye. <laughs> How many people are going to shut off their TV if that's what it is? That, uh, that would just... Yeah. That would end. That would end it. No, Big Daddy does is hilarious. Yeah. And uh, I do need to read this blog comment uh, that came in uh, regarding our my take on recon here. It was uh, sent in by someone anonymous. It says, "I think Matt needs to take a chill pill and enjoy these eps for what they are. The flash sideways have bothered me from the beginning, and I'm still giving them a chance." <laughs> okay, hold on a second. So first off, this guy hates flash sideways. And he's talking smack to you, and didn't put his name in. Yeah, that's just that's just baloney. Well, that, you know, it, it's one of those things where I I understand where you're coming from, and I I 
It's not going to change my mind about the episode one little bit. I, I just was really disappointed in Recon. I, I thought it was uh, um, some some needed setup and a lot of wasted time. And that's all I'm going to say about that. You can continue to send your hate mail to <laughs> keystolost at gmail.com. Attention, Matt. Remember, Leslie liked the episode. And Jed, you... Well, it doesn't matter because Jed doesn't normally work on this show. So... Just send your hate mail to Matt uh, at keystolost at gmail.com. You, uh, you didn't get my my hate mail this week, did you? That I, I did not get your hate mail. Oh, you send a I hate mail? I need to it. I'm sorry. Oh. Uh, no, no, I wouldn't do that. I'm, I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> Mr. Bad, who has a blog at Bad Lost Theories, that's bad with two Ds, badlosttheories.blogspot.com, sends in an email with a late observation about the episode Dr. Linus. He says, wanted to point out an interesting moment during that great scene when Ben is freed by Flock, runs, grabs the gun, and gets the drop on Alana. The moment when Ben gets the drop on Alana, there's some disturbing musical sounds, and then a golden light flickers over Ben's face, and just a note or two of scintillating chiming sound, and Ben begins his pleading monologue and the music flows into a moving plaintive refrain no theory just thought the light and momentary chime was very significant in that moment when ben may have wavered as to whether to shoot or not definitely a transformative moment for ben on the island which also mirrors his sacrifice for alex off the island well uh Mr. Bad, and I enjoy reading your theories at badlosttheories.blogspot.com. That's bad with two Ds. He's so dead. He's so bad. He's got to have two Ds in his name. Um, I didn't notice the light or the chiming sound myself, but I went back and rewatched the episode, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if we've seen have we seen those kind of moments before. Uh, I'm not real certain. I, I know that I was on... Uh, a podcast with Amy from LostBlog.com, and she's made notes about how certain lights flick on people's chests and everything, and suddenly they come to some kind of drastic decision about things. Um, I just I don't really have a theory as to as to why they would have chosen to do that uh, musically, or with the or with this golden light that's flickering over Ben's face. Did you notice anything like that, Jed? I I should have rewatched it. That I did not make note of it. That's for sure. Um, but I think that the only value would be that they're highlighting that moment in sort of a you know meta way. They're just kind of using the technique to highlight that there is transformation happening. Which I mean, yeah, I'd get that. I'd be pretty impressed if that's true. Yeah, actually, it would be very impressive. Hmm. Our next email comes from Alex, and it's a theory that he just needed to get out. This is a theory I needed to get out before it's possibly solved. I'd rather be wrong about it now than right later with never calling it out. It's a Libby theory. So I was watching season two last night with my girlfriend. She's just getting into it, and it popped into my head that Libby could have been working for Charles Widmore. Perhaps she was recruited by Widmore because of her status as a clinical psychologist in order to spy on certain people and put together psychological profiles on each of them, much like he hired Miles, Faraday, and Charlotte for their respective talents. He did this in order to better understand how and why the island will draw certain people to it, and possibly find a way back himself. 
It would explain why she was always so coy and dodgy when asked about her life before the island. It would also only take like three seconds to explain. Woodmore would be talking to someone about what he's really been up to, then he throws a picture down on the table and says something to the effect of, My first agent was killed by one of your people. Then the camera cuts to the picture of Libby, and upon a second watch, it all makes sense. That's true, Alex. I mean, it wouldn't take very much to explain something like that. I'm, I'm fairly certain we're not going to see anything like that personally. Um, I think I, I'm one of those people that's in the camp that Libby was merely, uh, I mean, here's a person that's telling everybody on the island she's a clinical psychologist, uh, and to, for somebody to find out she was in a mental institution would, would be quite detrimental to her status as a psychologist, uh, with the folks on the island. So that's, that's why I think she was kind of, uh, dodgy about, about her past more than anything else. It doesn't explain why she was in Australia. It doesn't explain any of that stuff. But I think what we're getting from the larger story now is that all of these people were brought by Jacob in one way or another, either by association or by uh, a direct uh, contact uh, through Jacob. And it, she just happened to be one of those people. That's, that's why I think she was on the island. Yep, they, all their lives are tangled. It's destiny. They're all meant to meet. Uh, you know, something I gotta spit out here. I thought, man, I'm not sure where it happened. I listened to the official Lost podcast. I thought for sure that the creators at some point along the way had said, okay, so Libby's not gonna be able to happen. So the story of Libby is this. And all it simply was, was Libby went a little crazy after her husband died. And she, you know, got out of the place and didn't want, you know, Hurley to recognize her, basically on the island. I mean, I, I thought they kind of simplistically answered this, but everyone's still asking about it, and I guess it's I made it up in my head. No, you know what? I I think that uh, I think that you're right. Actually, I I, I don't I can't recall the specific podcast or whether it was in a uh, an interview or or what have you, but I I think I think you're absolutely right that they have hmm. kind of deflated and that there is any more importance to Libby than what we've seen. Yeah, if, if they can mention it in some way, talking where it's not obvious, I don't care. They could they could close that answer up. It wouldn't matter to me. But bringing her back the way they did and meet Kevin Johnson—that's insulting. Where she's just a little glimpse of a ghost used just to scare uh, Michael—that was ridiculous. Yeah. I, well, and see, that to me is another one of those fan shoutouts. It's uh, uh, yeah. it, it's 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 something that uh, you know. Okay, Michael did kill her, but it's. You know why? Why is is seeing her any less important or more important than maybe seeing Anna Lucia, or you know? So it it could have been either or. It's just it just seemed like a, a fan shout out because Cynthia Watros was available to to shoot. Yeah, I I think I would agree with that one. Yes. See, I I don't I don't make any sense, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're just you're entitled to change your mind at any one point in time. Oh, sure. Due, sure. Due yeah. to due to a specific situation, we all have our specific <laughs> situations. Buzzmeg sends in a crackpot theory from Recon. Hi, Losties. Here's my crackpot theory from Recon: the locked room on the sub that piqued Sawyer's curiosity. Think Sawyer's alternate timeline obsession with getting Cooper. Think man from Tallahassee. Think Anthony Cooper is in the room or box. 
Widmore would then somehow use him, Cooper, as a bargaining chip with Sawyer in the negotiations against MIB or Flock. Yeah, Buzzmeg, that would be interesting. I'm not probably going to be in that camp myself personally, but uh, I, I, I like the fact that you call it a crackpot theory, and it's, you know, I, I think what we're going to see, where we're going to see Cooper come into play, and not the Cooper from the X timeline being on on the sub. I don't think we're going to see anybody from the X timeline actually come to the island. That's just my personal opinion. Do you have any thought about that, Jed? I think you're, that's probably where they're heading as well. Um, but as far as Cooper, I've heard of, I've heard this a few different ways. To be honest, I heard well this this ridiculous magic box issue. I, I thought wasn't an issue too. I, I thought magic magic box was a metaphor really when Ben was explaining it. I didn't think there was actually a magic box. But anyway, they brought up that they brought Cooper, and people are saying that oh they brought the ex Cooper that time, and now they have the real Cooper from this timeline and. That just seems too crazy for us to get into. I think Cooper's dead. We might address this in the the Flash Sideways. That Flash Sideways Cooper might have to answer to that Sawyer. But coming to our island timeline, I don't know. That's a little convoluted. I don't know if I see that happening. Right, yeah. I'm I'm in total agreement with you there. Gohex the Wolf sends in an email saying, Attention, Matt. I just figured I'd let you know you are not alone in your hatred of Recon. Little to no answers and even more questions. I'm more convinced of MIB not being Aaron due to your last podcast and the talk of Lost Riders no longer using flashbacks to narrate, leaving no room for a time-traveling Aaron theory. However, this season has had moments where our main characters simply explain what happened in the past rather than show it, so I think there's a small chance of more time-traveling explanation, just not in the use of actual flashes. My main reason for the feedback is because after listening to the last podcast covering Recon, I didn't hear either of you mention the scene where Claire grabs Kate's hand and Kate is seemingly uncomfortable with it. Please note that this was before Claire ever attempted to stab Kate. How important could a simple hand-holding possibly be to Claire's story this season? Thanks for your replies. Enjoy the way your show is going as always. All right, in response to your Recon email go hex uh now leslie and i didn't really talk about the fact that that claire did grab kate's hand and that kate felt or seemed uneasy with that i just kind of took that uh maybe i took this for granted uh but i just took that as kate has just seen uh tell the squirrel teletubby or whatever it is that jan jack are calling it you know and she's realizing for the first time that that claire really is not all there and that's why she was uncomfortable when Claire grabbed her hand. Do you have any thought about that, Jed? I think it's just Claire messing with her. I think Claire just is Claire's crazy, period. So she might have thought in Claire's head, this will be cute. I'm going to hold her hand, but I'm going to kill her. But I'm going to hold her hand right now. I'm holding her hand. I'm going to kill her. It, I, I just think that's, that's the kind of the insanity of Claire. I'm not, I, <laughs> it was more funny to me that, to see her go, and creepy. Yeah, it, it was a, a nice creepy moment, and uh, they seem to be giving Emily DeRaven all those creepy moments this year. Actually, they've been given a creepy moment since season four. That don't you bring him back, Kate? That freaked me out That's when right. I saw that. That, <laughs> That's that made, right. That made uh, we had a, a podcast over the hiatus for uh, Donald is Lost about uh, over Halloween about lost creepiest moments, and that one made my list of my top two. 
was Claire saying, don't you dare bring him back. Of course, if I had this season to, to throw him in, there would be a lot more, uh, there would be a lot better ones. There have been some real creepy moments this season. A second email from Gohex the Wolf says, In the episode where the original lock climbed into the well to turn the wheel, the island traveled through to a point in time where the statue was still there. Based off the most recent episode, the statue remained in place until after the 1860s. At this time, we were shown a scene where Christian is telling Locke how to go about his mission. Was Christian already there waiting for him in the 1800s, or did he time travel with him and simply meet him there via some unseen passage? Note the well closed up after the time shift, and the only other way anyone had gotten into there after that time was when Ben blew a hole in the orchid station. Just wanted to hear your guys' side of this. Yeah, uh, in terms of your second email, go hex. I'm thinking that this this is this is what I, I'm I'm wondering about the whole thing, though. And what we have to look at is one: is Christian actually being manif- manifested by the smoke monster, or two? Is Christian perhaps infected the same way Saeed is and is walking around on the island? Either way, because he is with this original 815 group, if he's, if he's, if Christian is Christian, then he's flashing with the, uh, he's flashing with, with the losties. How did he get in there to, to be ready for Locke to be at the well? Um, perhaps he was instructed by MIB to enter in through the same place where Ben entered at the uh, at the uh, orchid and wait until Locke shows up. If it's MIB, if it's just MIB manifesting Christian, then MIB is naturally there, uh, as we've seen, uh, and and he can go in and out as he pleases. I'm going to I'm going to answer this question. I'm going to play Damon and Carlson right now for you. Okay. Everyone's okay. gonna gonna be eased because we have the answer flat out. Christian Shepherd is a manis- manifestation of Man in Black. Christian Shepherd was a body when he arrived to the island, and the bodies can't time travel. I mean, that's Charlotte showed when she died; she was gone. She no longer traveled with them. This is the Man in Black. Locke got down there. Man in Black did his smoky little trip over, became Christian to talk to him. That's the answer. I don't have a good Damon voice. Okay, and my response to that, uh, Jed, is that what about Saeed? Saeed died, and then he came back to life under the influence of the smoke monster. Uh, so is if they were to the island was to start flashing now, are you saying that Saeed wouldn't go with them? Um, hmm. I would say he would go with them. You've put Damon in a corner. Let's see. <laughs> uh, sure, I can make up something about uh, this because um, Christian Shepherd died off island and he was just a body when he arrived. He can't be infected. Do you see what I did there? That's a- Okay, there you go. <laughs> and there's your answer, Go Hex. Very good. Very good. Huh. Dave from Toronto sends in an email with the subject of Man in Black. Just wanted to ask you guys if you have any theories as to the name or identity of Man in Black. I think that once his name is revealed, we will all have a clearer picture as to what's going on. Thanks and keep up the great work. Boy, that's that that's 
that's the real key, isn't it? I think we got his name this week, actually. Uh, yeah. It would seem to be that uh, his name is Evil Incarnate. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's he's just uh, he is he is the embodiment of 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 what Jacob conceives as evil, and uh, yeah, I don't think a name has to be placed on it, or that it can be given many names. Um, Jed here has called has called him the devil this week. I'm going to just call him uh, the all things malicious uh, for now, uh, the malicious in black. And I, I, I don't think that his name will have as big of an impact uh, now after this week. What do you think, Jed? We'll call him his malevolency. That's what it'll be. His malevolency. Whenever we address him, <laughs> just as like he, he's a higher power. Um, you know, I. I know. They're getting more details in his story. He might... I don't know. Will he have a name? Will his mother be someone... They gave Jacob a name. I don't know why they wouldn't. Well, because Jacob can be killed and be replaced. So maybe he's just another human put in that position to keep the cork from popping. Maybe they won't give him a name. Or... Hmm. Or even if he does have a name, I'm just not sure that it will give us a larger picture as to what's going on. Because I, I, I think a lot of people have speculated that, the, you know, well, of course, we've heard all hiatus the whole Jacob Esau thing. And uh, right. uh, even if these two guys are related in some way or another, I just I can't see that a, a name is going to make that big of a difference as, as to what the overall... I think we've seen what the game is what the objectives are and how each is trying to to stop each other and what they have to do in order to do that uh, and I just don't see that a, a name is going to make that big of a difference in what the actual play is did you listen to Damon on Jay and Jack's 30 hour podcast I hadn't heard no I didn't I, I was working it's because uh, Jack asked this question of course and Damon it wasn't a very slick sidestep. Damon flat out said, we are not answering that question. I'm not going to answer that question to the last second. He could have a name. He could not have a name. Um, but that was the point, is they're not addressing it. So it's still completely up in the air. I mean, it can be argued the fact he doesn't have one is important. Or if it just turns out that he's just evil incarnate and they don't want to try to address that with a name, that's important too. That's true. That's true. And uh, I will say what I've always said about Damon and Carlton, and that is it doesn't matter what the question is. Every answer is carefully worded. Uh, and if he flat out sidestepped it and said that for a reason, then he was either caught off guard, which I can't imagine, or, right. or, or you're absolutely right in your, in your assumptions there. Yep. Very good. Here's an email from Methodic John regarding our Recon podcast. I thought after listening to your podcast on Friday, I think Locke has lied to the candidates. He tells Ford the island doesn't need to be protected, but he tells Ben that Ben can be the one to watch over the island. Okay, um, yeah, I think I think it's been pretty obvious that uh, Locke has lied to the candidates as well. I, I know that Leslie and I last week had that conversation where Leslie said, well, he just doesn't seem to lie. And maybe lie is not the right word. Maybe it's, as me and you talked about earlier, Jed, about it's more about omitting uh, certain truths 
or or um, expanding upon certain things. How about how about this too, Matt? Maybe in his mind, of course the island doesn't need protection from me. I'm gonna get out, and I'm not gonna damage the world because I'm just me. In his mind, it's not negative. So that's why he would be able to say the island doesn't need protecting. Right. Or maybe we could look at it even in an aspect of, and this is just total crackpot, but he, in order for him to be able to leave the island as a free person, he has to leave the malevolence behind. He needs somebody to embody that so that he can escape. Oh, oh, Matt. I See, now that's cool. Okay, so when he said, I'm going to leave the island to you, Ben, Jed loves Ben, uh, I went, wait a minute, why is why is this guy going to give Ben back the island? What What's the deal? Why is this happening? That's it. He's going to shrug off the smoke monster onto Ben. That is, that's very interesting. I like that, Matt. Yeah. Well, thank you. Like I said, it's total crackpot, but it's just a thought that came to mind while I was reading the email. Cool. An email from Svenastep. Love this episode and an episode that gives so many thoughts. To mention three of them, I don't believe that there's too much to read into that it went from day to night when the Black Rock came to the island, since things like that don't work the same way as we're used to. We've seen many times how the weather can change dramatically in just a second, so it's probably the same regarding night and day. I was surprised how aggressive Jacob was towards Richard, when he's nothing like that against Ben. My only conclusion is that he didn't care much to be killed by Ben since he has six candidates on the island. But if Richard killed him, Nemesis would escape since Richard was the only human on the island. It's also strange that Jacob told him that no one can enter the statue without his permission, yet Ben and Nemesis has no problem walking in. It's almost like Jacob sort of wanted or at least saw no danger in being killed. It also seems that Jacob initially has no specific plan for Richard, unlike the candidates he's watched for years. He asked him if he's from the boat, and it wasn't until Richard mentioned Nemesis that Jacob offered him a job. All right, thank you, Sven. Those are all uh, pretty interesting thoughts. I guess, uh, yeah, I, I can't really think of anything to, to refute anything that you said there, so uh, good job, nice observations. Interesting that well the, the the they brought up in this episode uh, we just watched about you know Jacob said you can't enter unless I invite you and he he made a point of that here too that that's interesting so how how did Ben and Man in Black just walk in that's a good question um, and why bring it up again. What we don't know is we haven't seen what rules have been laid out since that time with Richard. And and again, this is throwing fan fiction in there a little bit, but I can assume that it's always been acceptable for the leader of the island or the leader of the others to come and visit Jacob. Mm. Um, so that's why Ben would just be able to walk in. Well... Okay. That's why Ben would be able to walk in and, and why Locke was able, or MIB Locke. was able to walk in because he, he was posing sense. as the leader at the time right. while Ben was still technically the actual leader because since he, since there was no Locke anymore, he was 
the person that was last in charge. That's it. You've got it there. That makes sense. Yeah. Locke was Locke was the leader of the island. He was in Locke's body, you know, in theory, however you want to put that. Right. Okay. It's strange, though, that they'd bring it up again in last night's episode, and it seemed like a... Excuse me, not last night's, whatever day it was, uh, that they bring it up again. It's just so odd. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. There might be more to this. We'll have to pay attention. This email from Scotty6 on Ab Eterno. I'm not complaining, per se, because it all helped to lend an incredible emotional depth to last night's episode. But with only seven episodes left, did we need to see everything that happened last night at the beginning? Could we have just had Richard say, I was put on a slave ship to America after stealing medicine for my sick wife. I loved last night's show for what it was, but I was kind of annoyed that it took the whole hour. Although I never thought we'd see Titus Welliver until the finale, so that was cool. Scotty. <laughs> okay, Scotty. Well, uh, I guess, you know, the one thing is, though, I, I have to agree that it was really cool to see Titus Welliver again. Um, I I really enjoyed uh, this kind of more continual, intense, and, 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 and longer scope-looking flashback myself. I, I, I like the fact that they spent an extra minute on him working with the nail, you know, or the fact that the boar was there. And and I think all of those things needed to be done. We've had so little with Richards, you know, we knew nothing about him. And you're having to take, uh, you know, what other characters have had six seasons to get information on, and we had to compress it into uh, one show. And rather than choosing a variety of moments, skip, 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 what we got was the intensity of the moment so that we identified with the character as as someone who is suffering, as someone who, uh, you know, has just cause for making that initial attempt that ended up getting him the job with Jacob in the first place. Uh, that's what I took from, from that whole, the way they set up this flashback, and I thought it was brilliant myself. Jed, any thoughts? Uh, I'm going to just say that was exactly what I would say. Wow. Uh, and I'm kind of shocked at Scotty here. Did did he respond about recon last week? Wait, wait a minute. We we got to spend how many minutes with Sawyer, Bang, and Charlotte? And we're going to... And Scotty's not digging all the beautiful moments that we had with Richard? The pole and the nail stuff? That was amazing. I, I, I felt so involved. You know, just like you said, I'm so glad Lost could slow down and take this time to tell this story because really, this is... This is one of the most fascinating stories the show has to tell. All right. But thank you very much for your email, Scotty Six, and thanks, everybody, for your emails. We certainly do appreciate them. Remember, you can always submit feedback to the Keys to Lost podcast by emailing keystolost at gmail.com, hate mail, attention, Matt, and uh, 314-754-9662 is our phone number as well. If you ever want to tweet me, uh, to complain to me or say something to me in 140 characters or less, that's twitter.com slash keys to lost. And you ready to move on to closing thoughts, Jed? Let's do it, man. Closing her up. Closing thoughts. And closing thoughts. Well, Jed, uh, what are your closing thoughts after this podcast and after the episode? 
Well, after the episode, uh, I just want to gush. I want to just compliment the creators, the writers, the production team, the actors, everybody on the episode. Uh, they just should be so proud of what they accomplished. Um, you know, as as one of our viewers from Lasty Sinin, last week's ep was uh, the top of a very large hill on a roller coaster. And from here on out, it's going to be a crazy wild ride as we go down that first big hill. And I'm just so glad Lost could reach these heights in his final season. You know, I'm just, I'm thrilled to see how the story plays out. I'm so happy we had this episode. Well done, guys. And I guess I want to say, if I'm new closing thoughts, well, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your show. Um, man, I hope I did well to represent Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> You were awesome, man, and I really appreciate you coming on and bailing me out because, you know, she's off busy being a rock star and all, and uh, you know, that's uh, that's the nature of the beast sometimes with the music is you got you got to go where the gigs are paying, and, and uh, we're very ha- Leslie, we hope you're having a great time out there. Uh, have a great weekend in Chicago. I know that you're, you're finishing up in Chicago this weekend, so have a great time there. And as for me, for the episode, I just... I really, uh, again, I guess perhaps, and it was an unrealistic hope, but when we started season six, I wanted every episode of season six to be like this episode was. And I know that's that's setting the bar way too high for any television, but isn't it nice that we reached the bar for, for one episode? Actually, two. I thought LAX was an absolutely fantastic episode as well. Um just because of the the sheer intensity and and the the way we were given some some direct answers and and that's that's what I was all about coming into season six was that kind of intensity and those kinds of answers and with this one though they went a step further not only did we get that kind of intensity not only did we see the big game not only did we get the plans uh, not only did we get you know uh, everything that you expect answers. We also got a very, very compelling emotional story. And, uh, you know, how can you not love Richard after this episode? I just don't see how you could possibly not love Richard after this episode. He, he, he put himself on the same pedestal the same way that Desmond did um, after Live Together, Die Alone. You know, it was, it was one of those things where suddenly you have a character that seemingly comes out of nowhere and has become the most important character in, in your world. Uh, and I just am amazed. I, I give a lot of credit to Greg Nations and to Melinda Taylor for their fabulous writing. Tucker Gates, great directing. You know, it, it just... And Nestor Carbonell, oh man, I never before would I even have been able to utter your name, uh, probably before Lost. But now, especially now, I'll never forget that name ever again in terms of acting. I, I really felt for the Richard character this week. Well said, Matt. Good job. Well said. Thank you, sir. And uh, we want to thank you again. Uh, remember that you should always watch Losties with Jed and Kara. You can visit their blog at... Twice a week, baby. Twice a week. The, those episodes are piling up. Those episodes are piling up. You'll notice, though, that I'm only maybe one or two behind you. I'm, I'm managing to keep up somewhat, a little bit, Jed. But I uh, have noticed, and it, as it, I, I've mentioned to you before, I'm going to start taking videos of me trimming my nails and doing random things around the house and making episodes. <laughs> Do you continue this, Sherrod? 
I'm yeah. going uh, exactly, and uh, we're going to start doing a podcast where uh, once an hour I release me playing a scale. You know, one it'll be the C major scale first hour and the C melodic minor scale the second hour and the C harmonic minor scale the third hour. But <laughs> that's uh, intense, man. Yeah, that's, well, you know, I got to do no. something, man. I got I can't just keep I can't just keep getting blown up and blowing you up. It's just not going to work anymore. <laughs> it's a truce. You've heard it here, folks. It's a truce, man. <laughs> Now, thank you, Matt, so much for letting me come on. I really appreciate it, bud. I had a ball. Jed, thank you so much for joining us, and, and thanks for putting Leslie up while she's on tour up there. And, and, and it was really enjoyable to see you guys discussing the episode this week uh, on Losties with Jed and Kara. What days are you released again? We come out Wednesday morning with our initial reaction, and usually Sunday or Monday with our weekend episode. Absolutely fantastic. Check them on iTunes. Losties with JedKara.blogspot.com as well. And we're both proud members, us and Losties with Jed and Kara, are proud members of the Lost Podcasting Network, where you can get all of your favorite Lost Casts in one feed. So until next time, we'll bid you farewell and say, Stay, stay lost. lost. Keys to Lost is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all of your favorite Lost Podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.